Brian, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Glad to hear. Um, unfortunately, doing better than our Raptors, I guess. Um, <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I guess, as we go ahead and start, since we haven't talked since the season ended, Brian, I just kind of want to get your feelings on the Cavalier series as a whole. And I guess let's start with the Cavalier series before we look at the season as a whole. Well, the Cavaliers series redefined disappointment. I thought that I beat the ultimate disappointment all those years ago when Vince Carter's shot against Philadelphia clanked out, and, and we lost that series. Uh, of course, I was also at the game when Kyle Lowry's shot was blocked by Paul Pierce more recently in, in Game 7 against the Nets, uh, which was not exactly a fun way to end the, end the year either. But this one is, is like a gut punch. I, I I predicted the Raptors in five, which obviously was wrong by a factor of, of infinity. But but it's also how they lost. They got smoked in games two and four. They were right there and should have won. I mean, come on, game one was was ludicrous. Game one was was in in the bag, and they threw it away. And game three after that phenomenal comeback, to have the, what other people are calling a defensive breakdown, which allowed uh, LeBron to bring the ball up and make that crazy shot for the win. So, but it all ends up at the same place. Whether you lose by one or you lose by 15, you still lose. And it was it's been a devastating playoff series as a result. I thought we were in really good shape after the Washington series. I thought that winning game six on the road was a real character builder and we were in, in very good order against that against Cleveland. And then, you know, I was at game one. Uh, we were at 14 points after Q1, and it all went downhill. Yeah, um, and I, I've seen a lot on Twitter people rehashing the series, and they say, you know, if we would have got game one, it's a different series, and that's true. But, you know, you didn't get game one. You lost it, and sure, you could have finished. But that doesn't ex- – Use the games and games two and four, you just got your doors blown off. So even if you do win 50% of those 50-50 battles, you're still down 3-1 in the series. So, I mean, you were thoroughly outplayed. Um, like you said, the the end of game one was really disheartening. The fact that someone, no one just grabbed the ball, went up strong, and at least force maybe some contact where you might get a foul call, but instead just kind of went after the tip. Um, that was disappointing. Game two, I, I'm willing to deal with a little bit. LeBron was just in another zone where he's hitting step back and step back, uh, fadeaway jumpers. Um, that's tough to deal with, but Kevin Love going off in the series is rough. And then game three, like you said, I... I don't know if I would call it quite a defensive breakdown, but there was no even idea of help. No one even came over and pretended like they were going to help on that jumper. So you say, yeah, it's a tough shot running to your left, off glass, one foot. But if LeBron knows that he doesn't have to make the pass and you don't even kind of fake show, then you're still giving the best player in the world a chance from you know 12 feet out to make a shot. So... It was disappointing in every way, and I think it 
kind of really makes you reevaluate the team as a whole. Well, it sort of makes you reevaluate the coaching as a whole because it seems to me that the one thing that you could not allow to happen in a situation like that was for the world's best player to take the final shot with no time on the clock. I mean, you had to find a way to get that wretched ball out of his hands and in the hands of somebody else, even if it's Kyle Korver. Of course, Korver is a terrific shooter, and that would have been a regrettable guy to take the last shot. But at least it's not bloody LeBron because if it's LeBron, you leave yourself open for severe criticism or, in this case, being fired because Messiah Jury apparently came into the dressing room after game three and had a few warm words with his coach. You know, and I don't particularly I don't like that. I think it's a poor message to send in game three where they said players apparently could hear. I don't think you should undress your coach unless it was a clear insubordinate act of something like we have a minute's limit on this guy and he shouldn't play with that minute's limit or something like that. I'm not crazy about Messiah doing that, but like you said, I do agree with you as far as it was a terrible decision to Ty Lue made a great play or made a great coaching decision by putting them at the other end of the court instead of taking the ball up at the half court. I thought that was a brilliant decision. I didn't think about it until afterwards. But, you know, that's a decision that he made and you have to counter it as a coach. So, I mean, you know what I mean? You can't be outcoached by Ty Lue, who I don't think many people are viewing as some kind of tactician. No. Well, that's a point that I made in my post that Dwayne Casey didn't lose because of strategy. He didn't lose his job because of strategy. He lost his job because of tactics. Because when the X's and O's were needed, when that marker board was called upon, the right decisions weren't there. And we lost. And that's what happens when you're playing a great team. Well, right. And between that and you watched C.J. Miles get switched on to Kevin Love and Kevin Love just abuse him in the post every single time. And it was like, are you going to counter that somehow? Are you going to counter that some way? It was just, I mean, four times in a row they watched switch, post up Kevin Love. Kevin Love's either getting to the line or getting a somewhat decent look. And I think he could have even made more of those shots. Well, yeah, I mean, that was an absurd decision. I was, my face was in my hands watching that because poor C.J., he's not there to be some kind of a stopper. He's okay on the perimeter as a stopper, but asking him to cover a guy in a post-up situation like that, particularly a guy like Kevin Love, an all-star, I mean, come on. It's absurd. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, you can't put that blame on C.J. in that situation. You have to have better personnel decision-making as a coach to understand we switched every pick and roll, and I wish we would have tried something different. It seemed like we were just willing to switch everything, and whoever was guarding Kyle Korver as a result guarded LeBron. So LeBron had OG on him. They ran a Kyle Korver pick and roll, and boom, three seconds later you have LeBron on someone besides one of your primary defenders. Yeah, and even if your primary defender is covering that guy, it's not exactly an easy assignment. And we've got this zealous rookie who, God bless him, did a pretty good job as far as I was concerned. You know, I was impressed with what OG did. He didn't back down. He kept his cool. And so that guy's got a bright future. Absolutely. I think that was probably the biggest bright spot from this series was OG and Anobi came to play.
game in, game out, and in a series that obviously didn't have a lot of bright spots, that was at least one that you could hang your hat on is that he looks like a real player. And I think that kind of I went into the postseason wondering if he was going to be a – if you needed to upgrade the small forward position this offseason, and I don't think you need to at all. I think he's your small forward moving forward at least. I think he's been far more than I could have possibly hoped for for a 20-year-old kid coming off a serious injury. And then you could contrast that to our so-called all-star backcourt who were just dreadful, inexcusably bad. Not bad, guys. How are you? Good. Excellent. Me and Brian were just discussing the Cavalier series. Um, kind of went went wrong with different opinions. And um, I guess, Jordan, what's your big takeaway from the series? Uh, what, what went wrong in the Cavalier series? How much time do we have? Um, no, uh, you know, I think offensively they were fine. Um, I just think defensively they were, uh, I, I mean, uh, unprepared would be the one word I, I would use. Um, you know, watching game one of the Boston series, it became pretty evident that Cleveland is guardable. Um, and, you know, Boston figured out, figured out how to slow them down, whereas Toronto, over the course of four games, never really seemed to have an answer for what I deemed to be pretty simplistic offensive sets. I mean, they were getting beat by one pass or one cut or... Uh, you know, they just, they didn't seem ready. Uh, pretty simple. Uh, that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I saw it. I mean, you can talk about game one being a heartbreak, which it was, but uh, if you're serious about winning a title, you got to be able to bounce back from something like that as, uh, as heartbreaking as it was at the time. Yeah, I think that was pretty much echoed me and Brian's sentiments completely. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think. We both kind of agree that Ty Lue out tactician Casey in the series. Um, so it's a lot of simple actions that kind of fooled us between whether it's just a simple LeBron quarter pick and roll, which we were forced to switch a million times, um, Kevin Love getting one-on-one situations in the post, and, you know, kind of late game breakdowns. I think um, I think Casey's been a great coach for us, and, or was a great coach for us, but I think in this series, to be honest, he got his lunch taken by Ty Lue. Well, and I think just to add on to your point, because I completely agree, Coach Casey was was a great culture coach. Um, I think he established a lot of you know key uh, you know key culture components that we enjoy now. But where he fell drastically short is being able to make on the fly in game adjustments, X's and O's. You know, that was never really his strength. And when when are X's and O's and tactician and on-the-fly adjustments most important? In the playoffs. And where has this team struggled year in and year out? In the playoffs. So that's where I think the next hire, whoever Masai decides to go with, they, they need to be more of an X's and O's tactics uh, coach, uh, more than they need to be, you know, some big culture culture guy that, uh, that Casey was. Um, but uh, one more point, it was on, you were talking about Kevin Love post-ups, and I was actually listening to a podcast a few days ago, and the guy on it was talking about how he saw, I believe it was five straight possessions where they posted Kevin Love up on C.J. Miles. Yeah, we just talked oh, about that. Oh, yeah. we just talked about that. Yeah. yeah okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're saying, they wrote down in their notebook and said, this is, this is going to get Dwayne Casey fired. And, you know, here we are. Yeah, it's it's tough and
I guess, Jordan, do you think it was time to move on from Casey, or what were your thoughts on the firing? I, I, I thought it was time to move on. I mean, like I said, I, I don't think this team was getting any better or going any further with Dwayne Casey as the coach and uh, not taking away anything he's done because he's done so much for this organization, for the country, for, you know, all that stuff. But uh, in terms of, you know, a, a basketball-related decision, I, I did agree with the move. Um, but with that said, they've got to they've got to hit it out of the park with their with their next hire. Um, who that is, I I don't know yet. I know there's a lot of names being thrown around. I don't want to I don't want to you know uh, suggest either way who who I think it should be. Um, I'd rather just kind of let it play out. <laughs> well, you're being very bashful. I, I I have no problem suggesting who it should be. Who do you think it should be, Brian? Well, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say one person because I want to throw out a couple of possibilities here. I have a lot of respect for Nick Nurse. I've talked with the man. He's very smart. He's very thoughtful. He listens. And I think he's paid his dues. Um, so he should get a long, long look from the team and from Messiah, of course, in particular. Another guy is Jerry Stackups because he looks like a man who's a very quick study because he's gone from being a, a really top-ranked player. I mean, Jerry Stackhouse was a hell of a player. I agree, and now, absolutely. And now he looks like he's turning into a hell of a coach in fairly short order. And he certainly won't have any trouble getting respect from a veteran team because this guy has done it in, in, his, in his career. And the third person I'm going to throw out there is none other than Becky Hammond. Yes! All right. Fair enough. I'm all I'm all in on the Brian train now. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, look, Masai has made no bones about the fact that he hires women for every kind of job, and there are tons of them in the organization. And it would be kind of the cherry on on the cake to hire Becky Hammond as the first female head coach in the NBA. And she's done it all too. She's been was a great player, and now she, she's been a, she's been coaching at the feet of the master in San Antonio for years learning how to do her thing, and it's time. Great. The, the one thing I would say about Nick Nurse, and, and I don't know how you guys feel about um, Nurse versus Stacko, I just, there, something about Nurse just feels uh, too, too close to Casey, in a way. Um, I don't know if I'm alone in that. I think Stackhouse is a, is a little more distant because he obviously was coaching the G League. He's coached a lot of the, a lot of the young guys, obviously, during their time in the G League. Whereas Nurse... I don't know. I almost feel like if, if you know, why why fire Dwayne Casey if you're just going to go with Nick Nurse? Now, again, maybe that's not a popular uh, popular opinion uh, amongst Raptor fans, but I, I just I, I really think they got to look they got to look um, uh, beyond Nurse and uh, Rex Kalamian, who I believe is also being considered, but. Given the fact that he was in charge of the defense, I don't know how serious uh, <laughs> how serious they're going to be in uh, in considering him because obviously the the defense didn't perform very well in the playoffs. Well, I have a couple points, I guess, about a couple of these candidates. Um, first off, um, with Jerry Stackhouse, I I guess what do you guys think it brings? Is it just the former player role that he brings that Nick Nurse in it? Because I think a lot of people forget that Nick Nurse was the G League, or it was the G League at the time, the G League 
uh, champion, was led the Rio Grande Vipers to the best record in the G League, and kind of was the best coach in the G League for years before becoming an assistant coach. Um, so I guess what what do you think that Stackhouse has that, deep, that Nick Nurse doesn't as far as like resume? Which I guess Jordan, I understand your point that he's too close to Casey, but just in general, um, I think that his resume just stacks up a little bit better than uh, Stackhouse's right now. Um, do you want here? You can go, Brian, if you want, or uh, or I can uh, I can say my part first. Well, I I think that Stackhouse's NBA career was distinguished enough, long enough, and with enough coaches and players to have picked up an enormous amount of ideas and concepts and possibilities. And I think that he's he's seems to have taken that to the G League quite successfully. So although I'm all in favor of, of long apprenticeships for NBA coaches, I think that in the way that he's come at his um, coaching career, this is this might be an appropriate form of long apprenticeship, but this happened to be on the floor rather than on the bench. Yeah, okay. I mean, that makes sense. I just, I, I guess as someone who leans towards Nick Nurse, I value the coaching experience a little bit more than the playing, but I, I do understand that, I mean, there's different types of experience you gain, and Stackhouse obviously has the playing. Um, Nick Nurse. And I also got... Just, just to add, like one more point. I also think too. I mean, I, I was I've trying to been trying to kind of look into the window in terms of you know what's going to go into this hiring decision. And I mean, I'm not going to speculate on the futures of DeRozan and Lowry. I think that's that's going to be done or that already is being done. It will continue to be done. But you know, th this new coach coming in is going to have, uh, I believe, at least one year with the current group of guys uh, because I believe DeRozan and Lowry if they are going to get moved they're more likely to get moved after this upcoming season with uh, how their contracts kind of stack up so you know if you give Stackhouse one year with DeRozan and Lowry and see how see how he connects and kind of builds relationship with them um, and, and depending on how next season goes if you wind up moving on from both of them now you're left with a young core of players who have basically grown with Stackhouse. Jerry Stackhouse yeah okay so that's that's another that's another thing whereas Nick Nurse I know he's part of the organization but uh, you know he's he's spent uh, the majority of time with with the big club and therefore hasn't had the same level of uh, of interaction with uh, with the younger core yeah I, that makes sense um I totally get that. Um, and my other my other point on Becky Hammond is, no offense to Becky Hammond, who I think will get her shot one day, but I don't understand. She's been talked about so much more, and I, under, I guess I do understand why, because it would be so significant for so many reasons, bigger than basketball. But I, I think Ator Messina, the guy for the Spurs, is more accomplished than she is as far as just an assistant who, you know, he was the number one assistant. He was the interim coach when Pop was out, and you know, I, he's just he's been more battle tested. Yeah, I mean, I, I, under you know, who coached under Greg Popovich, regardless of their their gender, should be uh, should be considered for head coaching positions. Obviously, with Becky Hammond, there's the 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 added, um, for lack of a better word, hype around her because she would be the first first female head coach. Um, it, it just bothers me, I guess. She didn't. She wasn't in the front row of coaches this season. And to not be on the floor level, 
I'm not saying that she won't be a great head coach one day and that certainly she can be, but to not be on the first row of assistants to me to jump to a head coaching gig is kind of worrisome. Do you, I mean, I mean, it's, 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 I guess that's a little different, but you know, there's a, there's a guy in, there's a guy coaching in Boston who didn't spend any time on the front row of a, an NBA coaching staff. Sure, but he was a head coach. Um, was I, a, I know he was, but he, but, but he was a head coach with, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of kids. Uh, and coaching kids is a lot different than than coaching um, pros. Uh, so again, I know I know it's it's not the best example, but I just I, I don't think the fact that she hasn't spent time in the front row of assistants should um, factor into the to, to her eligibility for a head coaching job as early as this upcoming season. I, I guess is kind of all I'm saying. But yeah, know, there's there's plenty of candidates that are right. Um, you know, I will say uh, in in regards to the Raptors, and I don't know how you feel about this, Brian, but you know, for an organization that has, for a few years at least now, clamored about how they don't get the respect and they don't get, you know, the the one thing that always comes to mind is we never play on Christmas. First of all, why would you ever want to play on Christmas? You should want to be spending Christmas elsewhere. But if you hire Becky Hammond as your head coach, you can rest assured you will be playing on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so you you'll get your you'll get your attention. Um. And I think, listen, I don't mean this is a slight on Becky Hammond's coaching ability. To be frank, I have no idea if she's a good coach or not. She's gotten Pop's approval, which to me, obviously, I would put her her as an assistant to the Spurs. I would put her on the short list. I just think that there's other Spurs assistants like Messina that aren't getting recognized maybe as much. Um, but I certainly think she should get an interview. Um, I'm not sure if she will. It looks like we're kind of focused on Budenholzer, um, which I guess it's interesting. Neither or any of us have kind of mentioned him, and um, I guess I'll go ahead and start by saying that I, I don't understand the Budenholzer. To me, if you wanted to get a guy who's won 60, 60 games or around there and gotten whooped by LeBron in the playoffs, then you would go ahead and keep Casey around. Um, exactly. He seems very similar to Casey. I think when you're talking about Stackhouse, Nurse, Hammond, Messina, all those guys or girls, um, at least they bring a new lifeblood into the organization, and I guess they bring something that you haven't seen. Um, I think Messina, or I think that Budenholzer is very similar to Casey, and I think the resumes, if you lined them up blind mm-hmm. next to each other, you'd have a hard time choosing which one is which. Agreed. I'm just a sucker for outside-the-box ideas, right? Like, Budenholzer, Budenholzer, to me, just, again, feels like you're grabbing a fish out of a recycled pond. Yeah. You know, whereas, uh, yeah, I just, you know, uh, yes, it could, you know, we could be having this discussion a year from now, and, you know, uh, Becky Hammond or Stackhouse could have just coached the Raptors to a disappointing season, and everyone will be going, oh, you should have brought in an established guy like Budenholzer, but... I don't know. It's just I'm I'm not I'm not uh, as as keen on the idea as uh, seemingly a lot of people are, or a lot of the experts, or a lot of people in the Raptors organization. Obviously, because he uh, he continues his name continues to to, to come up uh, as the the preferred candidate. Um. So. Yeah, which I, I find know. I find that mysterious as well. And I, I did I did mention him. Because I forgot to mention him. I didn't mention him because I don't want him as a coach. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, just recycling that guy who has not proven anything vis-a-vis the, the Cleveland Cavaliers or anywhere else. I mean, one big season in Atlanta. Is he going to go up to dinner for that for the next 10, 
10 years? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, exactly. And, and like, like Mike said, right, uh, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's been foiled by the, same, by the same guy that Casey's been foiled by, you know, two years, two years in a row or, or, or one year. Uh, you know, after the 60, 60 win campaign in Atlanta, he went and got, got swept by LeBron. So, uh, you know, if 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 you're going to sign Budenholzer, why wouldn't you have just kept Casey? Well, it, uh, and it's this idea that again that we need experience as a head coach. And I know it's not at the NBA level. When you talk about Messina, Stackhouse, and Nick Nurse, they all have experience being a head coach at some level. And for Messina, it's in over in Europe, and for Nurse and Stackhouse, it's in the G League. Um, yeah, they haven't had their chance at the NBA level yet, but it's not like that these guys have never been a head coach at any at any level. Yeah, no, exactly. Steve Kerr, I don't I, I don't believe Steve Kerr had any um, had any coaching experience before he took over for the for Golden State, did he? I mean, he might have worked in the front office. No, yeah, he was a front office guy. He was um, a front office guy, but you know, like that, and I think that's what Brian was alluding to about Stackhouse is. You know, I'm not. We're not saying every player translates into a good coach, but you know, Sackhouse would bring that you know familiarity. And you know, specifically, you look at maybe a guy like DeRozan. Uh, maybe Sackhouse could could unlock something uh, in him. I mean, there, there's a lot of things to point at in Casey's tenure that kind of leave you scratching your head. But one thing that I've long marveled at is for a defensive guy which Casey was billed as, he never, ever got DeRozan to, 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 to play what I deem to be um, good defense. Uh, you know, if, if you want to be a leader of a team, I think you got to play both ends of the court hard. And as much as I love DeMar DeRozan, and I love him a lot, he has never given what I think to be a consistent effort on defense. And when you're a defensive-minded coach and you can't get your leader to buy in defensively, I don't know. That's a red flag to me. Yeah, I I agree. And if you you talk about the Raptors, maybe one thing that they've missed over these postseasons is toughness. I I don't think anyone's questioning Stackhouse's toughness at any point. Um, True. <laughs> at any point ever. Um, and just as we kind of wrap up the candidates, I and I haven't seen much of this for the Raptors. I've mostly seen it for other teams. I've seen the Kenny Anderson, Stan Van, or not Stan Van, Jeff Van Gundy ones. And I just I hope that we don't even go closer. Mark, uh, Mark Jackson Mark Jackson, as well. No. Yeah, like I don't I don't want to touch the guys who've been working in TV for the past five years with the ten foot pole. I mean, <laughs> no. Like, I, I I even heard David Blatt's name considered, oh which I thought gosh. was funny because Jeez. because David Blatt served as an excellent assistant under LeBron a few years ago. Yeah. But, well, uh, I, sorry for that comment. But. No, David. <laughs> David Blight never bothered me with his ex's nose. It's just the kind of arrogance he brought to the team where he thought – I mean, they talked about uh, – I read the book by Windhorst and McMenamin about the um, Cavaliers, and his first win in the NBA, the team gave him a ball to congratulate his first NBA win, and he turned and said, I've won so many games over in Europe. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. No one's going to buy into that. No one cares what you did in Europe. Once you're in the NBA, to be frank, it's true. I mean, now like that, all that stuff got you where you are. Now stop resting on it. Now you got to win some NBA games. No, that's 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 a that's an interesting point. I, I didn't know that. He said. <laughs> yeah. So, I I don't think that David Black's in the card for the Raptors, um, and I hope he's not as well. Um, it, instead of coaching, I guess, what do you guys 
think is next for this Raptors roster? Do you think, we'll start with you, Brian, do you think that they're going to more or less run it back with the same team? Do you expect a major overhaul? What, what are you kind of looking at? Well, my post this morning had to do with trading search. And I certainly think that his non-appearance in the playoffs is is too serious a problem to be papered over and, and for a new coach to come in and say, oh, well, I, I, can, I can reach him or whatever. I, I think it's the situation is too far gone with Serge, and I think we need to cut our losses. And I speak as somebody who was thrilled when he came back and was re-signed by Masai. But I, I can't excuse his, his wretched playoffs. Jordan, what do you I, think? What do you well, think? I mean, I, I'm, I'm right there with Brian. I just, I mean, first, I didn't know that, I thought you had to know how to dribble to play basketball, and I didn't <laughs> see Serge dribble, in, uh, dribble with any level of success in the playoffs. He was, you know, I think he scored like 87 total points in the playoffs, and he had like 23 of them in the first game. So he was, he was a huge disappointment for a guy who, you know, let's call it what he, he was supposed to be, the, the third piece of a, of a Toronto big three. Uh, and he wasn't exactly that. Um, but with that said, I don't know who's taking surge right now. Um, you know, we're, the Raptors are a year removed from trading, getting out of Damari Carroll's contract. It cost him a first-round pick. And I think it would cost him a first-round pick to get out of a Bacchus deal. And, you know, I don't think Ujiri wants to make a habit of trading first-round picks every uh, offseason to try and offload bad contracts. So well, we don't have one. No, I, well, I know we don't have one this year. I don't know when our next one is, but um, I, I, I do, I do believe moving on from Serge would be a uh, would be a good start. But I don't know who's who's taking him at this point. Yeah, uh, I, I, I expect them more or less to come back with the same crew. Give give the new head coach one year with them, see how they respond. And then depending uh, depending on how next season turns out, you go from there. Because then you'll have DeRozan, Lowry, and Ibaka, I believe, all with one year left on their deals. Uh, DeRoz- he- DeRozan will have two. DeRozan but, will have two. But yeah, the other two have one. You have, have one. So, you know, maybe you, you have an easier time moving on from one, two, or, or potentially all three of them. Um, but I think next season... It should be a lot of the same guys. That's just my feeling right now. But you know, a lot can change between now and uh, now and next season. So we'll have to wait and see. Sure. Um, and uh, to your point about uh, Lowry and Ibaka being on one-year deals, um, Jonas Valanciunas has a player option for that deal of 17. I think you can pretty much put it to the bank. He's going to accept that deal. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing as it is, so he also will be on a one-year expiring deal. So, like you said, that would be the time if you kind of wanted to. Depending on what you want to do, you have the ultimate flexibility of either stripping the team there, um, and of course you'll have guys like Pascal Siakam and Delon Wright who up now are looking for their payday. Um, but I don't think they'll get. I don't think you're talking any max money or anything like that. I think when you get have those guys on one-year deals, that's when you kind of have the malleability, um, and it will yeah. be a little bit more difficult this all. Well, Pascal Siakam uh, is a jump shot away from being a very, very special player, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the jump shot comes 
he could even become an all-star. Um, but yeah, but I also think there's good. there's a there's a couple players in the league that you're like if they get the jump shot and then it just kind of never happens. Um, but I, I think even if he doesn't get the jump shot or if he could at least get corners, it would help him. Um, I still well, he think he's a useful a, player. Yeah, he doesn't even have to be a he doesn't have to be a dead eye shooter. But you know, if he just shoots. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm talking like Draymond Green, Draymond Green type of, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. Rat level from three. Uh, he's going to get open shots. Yeah, I. He's got to be able to make them. I can look it up now, but I think if I had to guess, I would say Pascal shoots 27% from three, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so, ugly. Yeah, it's not great. And to, to give him credit, he was shooting them. Um, which is at least a step but in the right direction. The only way you're going to get better, right? I mean, you got to take them. He you, shot. You oh, it, it's worse. It was 22 percent from three this oh. year. But there was one point in the season where I think he was 0 for 44 or something like that. <laughs> so so he, was, he, was, he was due. <laughs> well, you know, you know no. how much confidence you have to have to be 0 for 44 to fire up that 45th shot. Um, well, yeah, precisely. And, but I mean, this is a guy who's has less basketball in his life to this point in his life than, than anybody you care to name. I mean, he's he's played hardly at all. He was a soccer guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he shot one point six this year. Yeah, I think he only picked up a basketball at like sixteen or something. I want to say he was a uh, he was definitely a uh, definitely late to the party. Yeah, I think it was him and Joel needs another one. That didn't pick up a basketball. They said until. So. How about that? That was a. That was a. Uh, how surprised were you guys that um, Boston dispatched of Philly as easily as they did? Very. I was very I surprised. Was, and I was too. I didn't. Uh, I didn't think they were. I didn't think that was going to be uh, as one-sided as it turned out. Uh, turned out to be. Boston's uh, something special. And yeah. doing it without uh, without Irving and Hayward, man. I wish uh, I remember on an earlier podcast, Mike. You asked me who the coach of the year should be, and I gave my just biggest Dwayne Casey pitch. Now I'm looking back, going, "Oh man!" I mean, just what Brad Stevens has done without Tyree, without Hayward, and don't get me wrong, their players that they have are special players and great players. But you're still missing two perennial all stars. You know, we're talking about a team who had probably one of if not the healthiest year among NBA teams and uh, they uh, they crash landed in the playoffs and I, I, could, I couldn't imagine Toronto having to do a playoff run without DeRozan and Lowry right well it's remarkable and then I, I know it's one game in and certainly the series is long but for the game one smackdown they put on Cleveland I thought that was like a fifth loss for the Raptors to see how well <laughs> that you could defend the Cavaliers if you actually schemed them out well and, you know, played solid defense. I saw that game. I said the Raptors just lost their second-round series 5 nothing. if that was possible. Because <laughs> it's – well, it's true, right? We couldn't stop We couldn't stop them. We – now I'm part of the team. Yeah. But uh, Toronto couldn't stop them for four games. Boston game one, 80, 83 points, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, shut, shut down – shut down LeBron. Everyone made fun of Marcus Morris for coming out and saying he was the second-best defender behind Kawhi. And he outplayed LeBron in Game One. You know, give the give the guy his due. He he called his shot, and he came out and delivered. Yeah. I, before the game, I put a Twitter poll 
who you got, LeBron or Marcus Morris, joking around. And who would have thought that the people that picked more Marcus Morris would be correct after game? You know, to Toronto, Toronto could use some of that, uh, you know, nastiness and, and cockiness almost. Well, yeah. we, I, I wrote about that in my post today I, about how sad it was, in fact, and overlooked the fact that we could not re-sign P.J. Tucker. Yeah, that's, a, that's another. Well, I'm looking at him. He's playing for one of the final four teams, right? That's uh, not a coincidence. No, no, it, it's not. I, they, they're missing that, like, I don't know, I, I, like sandpaper almost. they got to get a little more sandpaper on their on their team. Uh, now, you know, I, I agree with you, Brian. P.J. Tucker was there last year, and, and they still got swept. Uh, so, uh, you know, th their issues in terms of beating LeBron go beyond, you know, one player. But P.J. Tucker is the type of guy, brings the type of attitude uh, that, that I think you need to have any chance at defending a guy like LeBron and, by extension, succeeding in the playoffs. Lance Stevenson, people think he's an absolute joke and he's a, he's a this and that, he's blowing in LeBron's ear. And I love but Lance Stevenson. I don't know. And, <laughs> and, 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 and he's, he's, he's not afraid. He's not afraid of, of the stage that comes with guarding LeBron James. He goes right at LeBron. And you, if you have any chance of beating LeBron, you can't be afraid of him. And the Toronto Raptors are afraid of LeBron James. I'll just say it. Because um, I don't think you get swept and disposed of as easily as they did if you're not at least a little bit uh, afraid of him uh, or, or over-respect him or whatever the term you want to use. But Lance Stevenson just looks at LeBron and goes, you're a basketball player, I'm a basketball player. Well, Let's play basketball. Yeah, you almost need that guy with a sense of a little irrational confidence where you're not totally sure. Like, you know, Fred Van Vliet has a little of that where you're, where he's mm -hmm. ready to scrap with LeBron over something and he doesn't care that he's six foot tall and LeBron is six foot eight, 250 pounds. He's ready to go right now. And I think you just kind of need someone that it's <laughs> it might not even be the right fight to pick, but you're ready to go at least. Well, here's a, here's a name that I saw as a free agent available and who I like a lot, Montrezl Harrell. Oh, Harrell from uh, Houston? Yeah. Or no, he's, from the Clippers. He was in part of the Paul deal. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough, nasty guy. Plays bigger than his size. Must be a huge pain to try to cover. He's got a big wingspan. He's muscular as hell. And that's, that's the kind of guy we're talking about. A latter-day, uh, actually more skillful, Reggie Evans. Yeah, Reggie Evans. Wow, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Well, no. I, I guess, what do you guys think about the idea? Um, and I've heard this floated around a couple times, and I'm not sure kind of where I stand on it yet. The idea that the Raptors kind of need to consolidate some of their bench assets this offseason. That you have a bunch of guys who are, you know, 7 out of 10s, and you kind of need to trade in four quarters for a dollar um, and kind of trade into a better player there. Do you guys think there's any kind of weight to that theory or anything like that? Uh, Jordan, if you want to start. I, I personally think I personally think they have to get better in their starting five. I don't think there's an issue with their bench. They yeah, no, I'm, so, I'm sorry. The way I meant that is you need to trade in. All these young players have value on the trade market. You need to push them in for – a chip like I, I'm not sure who, but to be kind of a third best player to the team, or you need to you need to kind of trade in those assets for another starting caliber, if not starting. I'm talking a third starter, better player. 
I mean, I, I agree with I agree with your your approach or your opinion that the Raptors need to get, need to get better, need to need to improve their lineup as a whole. But but um, breaking up the bench, breaking up that young core who we've already talked about being you know an advantage for a guy like Stackhouse coming in, I, I don't think that's a road you want to go down uh, just yet. Um, I, I I wouldn't want to touch the bench this off season again. Uh, I, I would I would want to keep them intact. Uh, I would I don't know. I, I honestly look and go if you want to you want to trade people on that team. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the big three uh, and possibly JV more than I'm looking at the bench. Uh, I just think um, sorry. Is there someone's got? I'm picking up static. That's. I think it's just the internet. It's just Skype. Skype gets a lot of crap on it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 I get where you're coming from, Mike. But I, I mean, who specifically would you, would you? I think maybe at some point they might have Delon. Sure. I think. Yeah. I think that's that's a, you know I, I wouldn't want to be parting ways with um, with Siakam, um, Pirtle. Hurdle's an interesting one, actually. If you could, if if if, if somebody had a had a liking to Hurdle and you could package him as part of a deal, maybe right. uh, I, I absolutely see that. My thought is that these bench guys, that while I love the bench, I I'm not sure if any, with maybe the exception of OG and Anobi, are anything more than the fourth best starter on a really good on a championship team. Um, you know what I mean? I think they're all really good. But I don't know if I see kind of maybe the star potential in them as much as I do in other players around the league. I think that, like, I don't think Jakob Hurdle is ever going to be the second or third best player on a championship team. Same with Siakam, even Van Lee, Wright, all those guys. I think that they're kind of really good, but I don't know if they're that next level of player. And I wonder if at some point you have to try to get one of those. Well, I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still very high on OG. I believe OG can be. Yeah, I, I will honestly go, I will, I'll, I'll say it, I think OG can be a superstar in this week. I think what you saw in the playoffs, everyone expected him to kind of hit a rookie wall or be, I mean, he was, he was arguably their best player in the playoffs. Uh, just, just his, his, his demeanor, his on-court demeanor. Um, he never shied back from LeBron, neither him or Siakam. Uh, but, to your point about the Raptors needing to get, you know, like a superstar, I I think we we've, we've seen now a few years what you know DeRozan and Lowry are. As much as we love them, they're not elite players. So do, do you go out and try and try and somehow get Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, I I would take I would I would do that. I'd give anybody up on the Raptors to try and get Kawhi Leonard. I read somewhere that there's a rumor going around that, like 2021, the Raptors are going to aggressively pursue Giannis, potentially. Huh. Uh, yeah. So, you know, um, again, it's just it's not easy to get those guys, right? You got to pay such a high price for them. But I think what this what this year showed us, showed Raptors fans, and showed the NBA more than anything is, yeah, the Raptors are a great team and they've done a lot of great things, but they they are desperately missing that elite, elite player. Um, but you got to be careful which one you get, right? Like, I don't know, like, I, I wouldn't overpay for Paul George this offseason, for example, right? Because, well, I, I don't I, know. 
I don't think that's an option. I don't. I don't think we'll be able to get out of the current salaries we have. No, exactly right. So I think so that's where I think if you do make your free agent push, it has to be you have to wait two years down the road when Lowry, Ibaka, and JV all come off the books, and you have to hope that DeRozan takes the next step to make someone want to come here. If I could just jump in here and yeah. talk for a moment about the bench, uh, I think that this is an interesting. Um, situation where both of the things that we've primarily been talking about come together. We, and, and let me be more clear. We're going to get a new coach, that's for sure. That new coach, I think, should insist upon being able to take the bulk of the lineup and do something with it because he already knows what's there rather than being donated one or more players uh, that, come over, that come in the summer from where you take the bench and, and consolidate it into a a better player in theory, and say, here you go, buddy, here's your team. I think that he needs to be in a situation where he can look at the team up until two weeks before the trade deadline, at which point he and Masai go into a corner somewhere and, and decide who's going to stay and who's going to go, if anybody. But yeah. he needs a chance to, to, to see if um, Dwayne wasn't getting everything he could have, other people like, for example, Pirtle. I don't know whether Jakob Pirtle can ever be a Steve Novak three-point shooter. But I wouldn't mind finding out. I wouldn't mind run, running a few schemes. I wouldn't mind seeing him in the summertime and saying, okay, Jakob, let's see what you can do with your, your jump shot because you've got an accurate shot most of the time. You know, well, he's got a very high percentage. Let's see what he can do. How far can you stretch it? That's, well, that's it, just one possibility. And I think, I mean, I guess that goes to the advantage that you would have um, if you do hire a guy like uh, Nick Nurse, Jerry Stackhouse, is they at least have a leg up on that where they do know the players a little bit better and kind of, I mean, they don't, they won't know completely because they haven't had the head coach, but you at least have somewhat idea of if you're Jerry Stackhouse, yeah, I've seen Jakob Pertl hit the short corner jumper for forever and I at least know what's going on. So that would be one advantage of if you do hire it. Let's kind of go ahead and move to um, the playoffs that are still going on and just the NBA in general. Um, I guess let's start with the Western Conference here. Game one is Thursday night. It will probably be aired by most people viewing this. Um, what is your guys' thoughts on the series as a whole? Brian, if you want to go ahead. My, emotionally, I would love to see Houston shake up things. I would love to see somebody other than Golden State in the finals. And I think they are the one team in the West who can do just that. Because I, I mean, people have been trying for years now to stop James Harden, and they haven't figured it out. And I think Steph Curry is has got a cumulative series of injuries that is slowing him down just enough that he's not the player that he was a couple of years ago. And I think that Golden State is vulnerable. Uh, not to not very many teams, but Houston is one of those teams. So I'm, I think it would be a fascinating series, and I'd really like to see Houston win. Yeah, I guess call call it the Raptors sympathist in me. Um, I'd like to see Chris Paul get to the finals. It'd be great for him to get over that hump, and I, I, really, I hate the argument that he hasn't made it to the NBA Finals because if you look at his playoffs numbers, they're absolutely awesome. And I'm a huge Chris Paul supporter, so I am hoping for a Rockets victory, but um, if I look at it more realistically, I think that the Warriors, I think they're just a more well-rounded team and a little bit... Um, you know, they just have more firepower when you talk about four of those guys. 
I think they're going to be a little too much, but I think that you know Houston has a shot. I think that they're the best team that the Warriors have faced certainly since Durant came back, and I think that they have a shot. But I ultimately think Golden State's. Jordan, what about you? I, I, I agree, Mike. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if if the Warriors take it in five. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, no, I, you know what? I've been reading and watching, and I just I can't get by Golden State's first and foremost experience. I loved what Steve Kerr said when they were talking about all the all the stuff, and Steve Kerr basically said, "I like the position our guys are in. We have rings, so I think that helps." Um, which I thought was which I thought was great. Um, but you know, I just think Golden State's you know experience, their shooting, uh, and then their ability to I I think you know handle whatever Houston throws at them. Whereas Golden State, I think, especially their small lineup, when they go with Draymond at the five, can really give Houston some problems. Well, and I think you a know. big part of the series will be can Capella be effective on the floor. And if Capella exactly. can, I think you got a series. And if they're able to run him off the floor, then it's going to be a rough one. For, it'll be interesting. Um in the Eastern Conference, Jordan, what do you, how do you see this going? Um, obviously, Boston's taking game one versus the Cavaliers and obviously looked dominant doing so. Um, do you expect that trend to continue, or do you think that LeBron carries the... the um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I've learned over the years not to doubt LeBron James, uh, so I, I don't... I don't foresee the Celtics sweeping them, but I do foresee the series going seven. Yeah, in terms of who I, I'm that first game. That first game really has me convinced that that Boston can do it, but I don't think it's going to be as convincing and as easy as Game One may have fooled people into thinking it'll be. Yeah, I I think that there's a lot of things. Um, I thought it was interesting Ty Lue didn't start Tristan Thompson, to be frank. I thought that he should have went to Tristan Thompson in order to kind of counter what Boston was doing, um, playing small. I would have went big to kind of attack that, um, in particular to put Thompson on Horford. Um, but we'll see if he makes any adjustments here for game two as he attempts to just stay in the same ballpark as Brad Stevens and then let LeBron take care of the rest. Brian, how do you... Well, Boston keeps surprising me. I just, I cannot understand what kind of mirrors and magic they're using to, to have gotten as far as they have without their two, two of their strongest players, two of the league's strongest players. So I, I'm not sure I'm prepared to bet against them anymore because they keep proving me wrong. You know, it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, you look at their lineup, and, I mean, Horford is fabulous. Horford is like, man, oh, man, can we have that guy? He can do it all. But after that, and I've always loved Jalen Brown, and I was deeply disappointed that the Raptors never got a chance in him a couple of years ago in the draft. I wrote about him at the time, saying that's the guy that if by some miracle he can fall to nine, we'll t- we want him, but it never happened. Anyway, they, you know, Boston's got a lot, but somehow they – but they don't have that much. And, and Cleveland, I think, will bounce back, and I think will win the series. But it'll take at least six and possibly seven games. Yeah, I think that eventually the, ser- the talent that Cleveland has is going to come up top. 
but I think it's amazing that Brad Stevens, to be frank, has carried the series this long, or has come out with this statement and carried the Celtics this far, and I think that he'll be able to at least make it an awesome. Well, guys, um, I think that pretty much does it for us. Uh, any parting shots that you have before we go? Got to give more respect to the Celtics players. Brad Stevens is great. He's phenomenal. But, like, what, like, Jason Tatum, um, you know, I know you mentioned Jalen Brown, Al Horford, you know, Marcus Smart, you know, Terry Rozier. uh, Like, Stevens has been phenomenal. But, like, these players are just, they're balling. They're balling. I don't know how else to put it. Totally. Uh, I agree. That's a great point. Um, And I'll follow it up, I guess, with perhaps a hot take here. I think if you're redrafting last year's draft class, I think that Jason Tatum goes one over Donovan Mitchell still. I think he goes ahead of Donovan Mitchell. I think he's that good. He's that skilled of a scorer. And, I mean, you see him in the biggest stage in the playoff playing like a man. Well, do you not think he goes first overall if they're redoing the draft? That, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he's going okay. first. Donovan Mitchell probably likely second, I think, despite Mitchell being, besides Simmons, the rookie of the year. I think that... Tatum is the long, the long play with his. My final thought. Yeah, Pick let's hear Becky it. Hammond. Pick Becky Hammond. Take a chance. All right. Well, um, I'll talk yo, to you yo, guys. Mike, 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 quick, quick thing though. Donovan Mitchell went thirteenth. Uh, he went thirteenth, thir- right? Yeah. And you yeah. said, yeah, and Tatum, and Tatum went third. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying if you were redrafting, I think most people would put Mitchell first. Tatum second. I was, oh, I was okay. still keep. Okay. I was going to Tatum one, Mitchell two. You were doing, you were doing a big reshuffle. I see. Okay, my bad. I, I guess real quick before we go, um, do you guys know who the other interviews are besides Budenholzer for the Raptors? Um, I, I well, they, they were interviewing internal candidates, I believe, today and tomorrow. Uh, I think they were interviewing Nurse and Kalamian. Like I said, either today or tomorrow. Stackhouse is supposed to be interviewing later this week uh and then beyond that I'm, uh, beyond that i'm on discussions Ms. Dye's had with uh with potential candidates now those are all the names that i've heard as well okay yeah i i hope that messina hammond get an interview um i can't think of any other assistants right now that jump off at the credit as soon as we hang up um I'm right there with you, Brian, on Becky Hammond, though. We just got to bring Mikey over to the to the dark side. I, I, I have no problems with Becky Hammond. I just think <laughs> Messina has a little bit more of a resume. I hear you. Um, there's, a, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of good options out there. A lot of out of the box options that uh, that the Raptors. Uh, see, now it will come back that I hate Becky Hammond, and I don't want Becky Hammond to get a job when it's not true. Um, oh. I did not mean that. I don't, I don't, I don't. Everyone listening to this, Mike does not hate Becky Hammond. He just feels as though there are other assistants who uh, deserve uh, deserve a, a long look. Yes, I don't there want you to, go. There don't, you go. Don't hate on Mike. Don't hate on Mike. And if anybody does tweet about this, please spell Becky Hammond's name correctly. It's the biggest pet peeve I have on Twitter. It will be people supporting her as well. It's It's just absolutely terrible to see people... Telling, saying that she's not a good coach, and they spell it Becky Hammond. It just. Inf- I, I did that. I did that earlier, but I but I took it down. So I didn't <laughs> see that. But yeah. Oh no. There's a major mess up. I was like, oh no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I echo that. I echo that. Spell check people. Spell check <laughs> people. No names. Yeah. Well, particularly with names, you've got to be so careful with names all the time. 
Yeah, I I used to spell Reddick wrong all the time, so I get it, people. Um, <laughs> I used to spell JJ Reddick wrong, but could spell up Antetokounmpo for you perfectly. So. Oh God, I can't even say that properly. Oh, A N T E T O K O U N M P O. See, that was easy. I'll have, to, I'll, have to, I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah, but I don't think anyone's good. It's probably totally wrong. No one's going to check me, so. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, I'll talk to you later. Good night. <laughs>